Very few people have seen a campaign like we've just lived through. Very few people have seen an election count like we've just lived through with the president undermining the results of election returns in several states here three days after the returns have begun to be counted. But Bob Schramm has worked on the campaigns of almost every candidate on the Democratic side that you can think of. John Corzine, Bill Nelson, Bob Casey in Pennsylvania, Chris Dodd, Joe Biden's Senate campaign, Bernie Sanders' congressional campaign, the list goes on and on. This week on How the Heck Are We Gonna Get Along, Politicon welcomes one of the luminaries in Democratic politics, Bob Shrum, to find out why the polls were so wrong, what the campaigns did well and didn't do well, what Biden might be like as a president, and what Donald Trump might be like as an ex-president. And hopefully, of all people, Bob Schrum will be able to tell us, how the heck are we going to get along? Hey, just right before we uh, I, I came on, I was watching President Trump's press conference. We're recording this at, at what time? Seven o'clock on Thursday night, and the president is in the middle of a little press conference in the White House where he is... Right. Um, you know, he's, I, I don't know any other way to say, undermining the, uh, <laughs> the, the process of our democracy in some ways. Right. Um, it's, uh, it's been, listen, you, uh, the reason we wanted you on this week is because you have m- more experience in political campaigns than, uh, than most anyone else does. Have you ever <laughs> seen anything like this in any in any way, no. the, the the length of the count, the undermining of the vote. I mean, you've worked in in some pretty third world developing countries, and are are there not comparisons to those? <laughs> well, the 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 only time in the in a I don't know whether you call it a developing country. It's more advanced than that. But in Colombia in 1994, we did the campaign of Andres Pastrana, uh, who was the anti drug candidate, uh, and they stole the election from him. Unfortunately for them, somebody made, someone made a tape recording of their plan to do so, uh. which came out, and uh, Pastrana ran again in 1998 and won. Uh, I wouldn't liken uh, that to this. I think this is without precedent in American history. Uh, this is not Bush v. Gore. The president is making totally contradictory demands and claims. He wants to count all the votes in Arizona because he hopes he catches up. He doesn't want to count the votes elsewhere. Uh, they're filing frivolous lawsuits for which they have no evidence. Uh, the whole process is being undermined in the name of someone who has lost the election, is terrified of the consequences of that, and is going to do anything he can to try to stop the counting. The real question is, what do the people around him do? Uh, what does Mitch McConnell do? Does he go along with this? Uh, You tell me. What do you think? I mean, uh, one of the questions I had for you was going to be, what do his supporters do and what power does he have over them that that many of them are protesting out of these outside of these places i mean you know marketing you know campaigning you know messaging really well what has he done in the last 5 years or 4 years of his three yeah 4 years um that he has somehow convinced a a vast number of americans who i think on the majority, even they have are reasonable people usually, but they have they they seem to be following along 
with whatever he says. I mean, is he going to have... Are these things that he's saying right now in the White House uh, about him, this being stolen uh, by Democrats, about fraud being, are his people going to believe that? Um, Yes, a lot of them are. Uh, uh, Much of the Trump coalition is actually a cult. Uh, It really consists of, I think, three or four different groups of people. First, there are some racist people who are just outright racist. Secondly, there are a group of people who have been left out and left behind uh, in the era of globalization and in the recovery that followed the 2008 and 2009 financial collapse. Uh, Thirdly, uh, there are people who gain an economic advantage, may not like the way he acts, may not like his tweets, but they think that he's good for their tax rates. uh, And so they're with him. And fourth, there are people who, while not necessarily racist, uh, are having a very hard time living with the demographic and cultural changes in America. California is a majority non-white state. This is becoming a majority non-white nation. Uh, the role of women, uh, giving rights to LGBT people. Uh, there are folks who are just completely alienated by this. And he is the voice of grievance. I would say that the real hardcore Trump is following is about 30%, not 42 or 43%. But that 30% represents uh, probably a majority of Republican primary voters, at least as of today. And I think that if the president does lose, which I'm almost certain he will, uh, he will, if he survives whatever legal problems or financial difficulties he may have, he will try to pull a Grover Cleveland. (laughs) Grover Cleveland ran in 1880, got elected, lost in 1884, came back and got elected in 1888. So I would not be surprised to see Trump running for president again, assuming he's healthy in 2024. How do you feel as a Democrat about how, did you expect the results to pan out the way they have um what was your reaction on tuesday night absent the anxiety of not knowing a result did it turn out the way you thought it would no but i was a little calmer than most people because i remembered that in 2018 uh florida was Mm -hmm. a big disappointment for democrats and georgia which looked like it was lost we still don't know where it's going to end up which was a big disappointment for democrats led people to think that there wasn't going to be a big blue election that year in the midterms. But as you moved across the country, there was. We've had less of an effect of that kind. In fact, uh, Democrats lost seats in the House and failed to take the Senate. Uh, But I don't think that we should ignore uh, the dimensions of what Biden has done. I suspect he'll win the popular vote by the time this is over by around five points, maybe four and a half. Uh, and that'll be 7 million votes or so. Uh, He has carried states, if he carries Arizona, that haven't been carried by a Democrat since 1948, in the case of Arizona. He has put other states into play that were traditionally Republican, Georgia, and I think Stacey Abrams deserves a lot of credit for that. North Carolina, which I don't think Biden will win, but which is very, very close. And then as you look down the road, we now know that Texas is a genuine battleground, and Beto O'Rourke deserves some credit for that. Uh, So 
Biden expanded the playing field, uh, and at least on what appear to be the trends tonight, uh, won the presidency and may win it by more electoral votes than uh, uh, than Trump assembled uh, in 2016. But should Democrat? I mean, but if you look down ballot. Uh, certainly, the the news was at least as good as Democrats needed it to be. Um, maybe even slightly better um, when you think about Arizona and Georgia on on the top of the ticket. But when you look down ballot, the House lost seats in a year when most people expected them to gain them. The Senate only will probably only net one uh, new Democrat senator once this is all said and done. At least the November elections, maybe more in January's runoff. But the the Democrats expected an opportunity to pick up the Senate and down ballot races. I don't think Democrats picked up any legislatures whatsoever across the across the country. Republicans ended up picking up several legislatures that they didn't already have. Um, here in North Carolina, our governor, our Democrat governor, got reelected, but almost the entire Council of State was uh, Republican. So. Are, what what's going on down ballot? Why did why did Biden's success not translate to any coattails and perhaps the reverse of co? I mean, he, he got it, it. It turned out worse down ballot for Democrats than um, in a normal election year. What happened? Yeah, you know, well, not worse than in 2016, but uh, much worse than in 2018. Uh, first of all, I think Republican voters against Trump and the Lincoln Project may have succeeded to some extent, and. Trump may have lost some Republican votes, uh, people who went over and voted for Biden, but then they went back into the ballot and voted for Republicans. Mm -hmm. Uh, Secondly, I think that House Democrats probably had stars in their eyes, thought they could take another 10 seats, and they were not alone, by the way. That was an estimate on a lot of the analysts' uh, blogs, Uh, and probably didn't focus sufficiently on keeping the seats they had. Uh, Thirdly, there were some particular circumstances, one of them in North Carolina. Uh, I think if Cal Cunningham had not uh, uh, faced the scandal that he faced, uh, he would have unseated Tom Tillis. I mean, that race is very close. It's basically a one-point race. Uh, So there's a combination of factors, but there was not a blue wave or a blue tsunami there was a blue ripple so it's i mean it's i can't tell whether or not i mean whether or not you're in suggesting that maybe just the tone of this year never int- never would have had a blue wave that we that people were dreaming of that that the the way 2020 was going to go it was a blue ripple year or are you are you in the camp where you believe that democrats need to work on um their messaging or their the way they do, the way they run races, or their branding in general. I mean, the the House Democrats had a call today that was pretty heavily leaked on the internet, um, where right. Abigail Sponberger, who just barely squeaked by to re-election in Northern Virginia, um, talked about how defund the police and Medicare for all and socialized medicine almost killed her, and she was imploring, almost shouting at her um, Democratic colleagues, "We have got to stop being so." Uh, appealing to the left wing of the party. And at the same time, you had people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on Twitter condemning Claire McCaskill because she had said a similar thing on TV today. And there is, there is a big divide in the, in the Democrat Party 
how is Biden going to contend with that as president? Um, and which direction do you think Democrats need to go? Well, first, he's a skillful politician. Uh, Biden is. Uh, you think about how he was written off in the primary, stayed the course, won the nomination, actually rather convincingly, uh, had a theory of the case in the general election, stuck to it all the way through. And by the way, never took his eyes off Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, even as they tried to broaden the presidential field and succeeded in doing so. Uh, maybe AOC will attack me but, well, join the club. <laughs> for what I'm about to say. <laughs> but but I, I agree with Claire McCaskill. If you look at the results of the primaries, uh, the justice Democrats, the folks who are allied with, uh, with AOC, with Bernie Sanders, actually didn't do all that well in Democratic primaries. Uh, and I think Democrats have to be a center-left party. I say this as someone who used to myself get attacked for being too liberal. Uh, I haven't moved. Some <laughs> other people have moved. Uh, and, you know, I think the position that Biden took on health care, which was improve and protect Obamacare and create a public option, that has massive support among the American people. Mm -hmm. uh, I think if we go down the road of trying to create socialized medicine, hey, it won't pass. Well, especially so not now, right? You know, it's, yeah, but it's, it wouldn't have passed even if the Democrats had taken but, the Senate. But do, but do, there would have been Democratic senators who wouldn't have voted for it. But do the folks who are on the left of the party believe that? Because, I mean, I the, the extension to this question is, who's Biden's tougher customer? I mean, listen, I, I was have long been a Joe Biden supporter, gave to him in 2008, <laughs> back then, when people forgot that he was running for president in the first place. But I, I have long loved Joe Biden, and I stand by the fact that I believe he'll be the best president when it comes to knowing how to work with Congress since LBJ. But who's going to be his harder customer? Is it going to be Republicans in the Senate or the left wing of his party in the House? Well, McConnell is going to have to make a basic decision uh, because Donald Trump, given the nature of this election, will continue to be a major force in the Republican Party. And as I said earlier, wants to run again, I believe, if he loses in 2024. So is McConnell going to let Trump dictate where the Republican Party goes? Or is he going to negotiate with Biden, as he did, by the way, during the Obama administration, and they came up with several major agreements? I think the pressure on him uh, is going to push him towards some form of negotiation, and, because right now we have a COVID crisis, we have an economic crisis, and I don't think Republicans want to go into the midterm looking like they're stalling all action on things that people really care about, including health care, by the way. Why is he wanting you to know, rush this COVID stimulus bill right now? Is it because he thinks he'll get a better deal now, um, a more conservative deal now with the with a Republican president or uh, all of a sudden Mitch McConnell wants to do work? Yeah, well, I never understood uh, what was going on with the stimulus bill because, uh, and I don't attribute a great deal of sequential rational thinking to Donald Trump, <laughs> but one thing that should have been obvious to him was that getting a COVID stimulus bill say, sometime in September, so the effects were beginning to be felt, uh, could have helped him in this election. And instead, he let McConnell, who was speaking for a lot of Republican senators who 
didn't want it, uh, basically blocked progress. Steve Mnuchin, the Secretary of, of the Treasury, and Speaker Pelosi got very close to a deal. Uh, and then it went away. I suspect he'd like to make a deal now uh, so that the, he doesn't go into a situation where Biden is inaugurated, Biden sends a major COVID stimulus bill up to the Hill, and the Republicans are in a really tough place because the House will pass it, the president will sign it, and what's he going to do? Tr- stop it? Uh, I think if he looks ahead to the midterms, which are not necessarily easy for the Republicans, even though if there's a Democratic president, right, they, they would be favored, uh, uh, I think as he looks ahead to the midterms, he has to say, we need to look like we're being productive. But I'm not certain of that. And I'm not, you know, he could take the other tact, which is what he did with Obama in 2009. We're going to do everything we can to stop everything he wants in the hopes that we can deny him a second term. It was it was arguably easier for them to do that to Barack Obama, though, because Obama didn't really have a relationship with them. I mean, is is Biden's 40-plus-year relationship as a friend of Mitch McConnell not going to make it more difficult for him to to be mean to his face, at least? <laughs> you know, Clay, I don't know, because the truth of the matter is, I think McConnell is all calculation. He does whatever he thinks is in his political self-interest. I don't think he is swayed by personal relationships, although they can make it easier to sit down and talk with him. Yeah, I shouldn't have, uh, I shouldn't have given I shouldn't have been so nice as to give him a real conscience in that question, but I mean, I guess I'm being ho- I'm trying to be hopeful. Who who's running the party then after Trump is presumably, I mean, we're we're running this episode right now hypothetically. It's Thursday, so we're speaking hypothetically. There has been no call if something happens and and Donald Trump is elected. Maybe we'll do another one next week where we talk about him as the president. But let's for now, let's let's I refuse. Right. I refuse. <laughs> right, me too. But if but let's assume I'll be in Canada by then. If let assuming that Joe Biden has become been elected, uh, what well, first, actually, what does the next two and a half months look like? I mean, I, I said there's a reason that people get escorted out of the building when they've been fired immediately. Donald Trump has two and a half months, and I doubt he's going to handle it as gracefully as as H.W. Bush or Jimmy Carter did. What do you think the next two and a half months will look like, and what could he do on the way out? Well, I think the next 76 days uh, are going to be rough. Uh, You know that line in All About Eve from Betty Davis, uh, buckle your seatbelts, it's going to be a rocky ride. Uh, I think it's going to be a rocky ride. Uh, he has a number of people in the government that he really dislikes. Uh, I would not be surprised if he fired Christopher Ray. There's a report that Defense Secretary Mark Esper, yes. who mm-hmm. resisted Trump's efforts to send armed troops into the streets of America, uh, is writing a letter of resignation. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I think Trump could fire him. Uh, I think they will try to entrench as many of the changes that they've made as they can making it more difficult for uh, a President Biden to undo... Yeah, tell me that. Can you uh, ex- president t- elaborate on specifically that? What can he do that cannot be changed? I mean, if he fired Christopher Wray, it is unlikely that a Senate would confirm a new FBI director before Biden got in. Couldn't Biden just hire him back? Uh, yes, he could. Okay. Uh, and he could hire Alexander Vindman back. Right. Uh, you know, JFK... 
in the early 1960s, Maxwell Taylor had alienated some of the uh, establishment in the armed forces uh, because of the positions he'd taken. Kennedy brought him into the White House as a special assistant and ultimately ended up as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So uh, the president has a lot of flexibility to, 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 to bring people back who've been let go uh, and who tried to do a good and honest job. Uh, it's hard to, to say what you can entrench. You can try and entrench some of your people. Instead of taking away civil service protections, which he was doing before the election, you can try to put people in to top civil service jobs that don't require Senate confirmation. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard to get rid right. of them once they're there in the bureaucracy. Well, he did uh, just, he did just sign that executive order specifically to make it easier to get rid of them. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. It's crazy. I had no idea why he did that. It makes no right. sense. So he's, uh, he opened the door I, I think, for Biden to get rid of some of these people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he, you know, maybe he wants to get rid of Anthony Fauci, although I think that would be, A, a disaster uh, medically uh, in terms of politics uh, and would be quickly undone right. by a President Biden, assuming that Biden wins this election. So what could he do, though, then that, that besides, besides an all-out war or lighting the White House on fire on his way out, what, what could he potentially do on his way out that that Biden couldn't fix? I mean, other than just undermining the, the 250 plus years of peaceful transfer of power. Um, is there anything? Well, he, could open, he could have an executive order opening up a lot more federal lands mm -hmm. uh, to mining. He could do things like say, we'll have more offshore drilling, promise the people of South Carolina that would never happen, but he could do that. Uh, and Biden would then attempt to undo it. And I suspect there would then be litigation where people would argue that they had relied on what Trump has done. But it's very shaky grounds. I think he'll be very frustrated. Uh, and uh, the other thing he'll do, by the way, is he will grant a raft of pardons. Uh. Uh, there will be a lot of people who will be pardoned uh, in the next little over two months himself potentially also being one of them <laughs> we, we, you know we don't we, it's never been tested whether a president can pardon himself but, uh, but or nor, or nor tested whether or not a president can pardon someone who has not yet been indicted for something is that true i mean he couldn't he no couldn't, that's not true because not, oh. nixon had not yet been indicted and what ford did ah. was pardon him for any offense i don't remember the exact words any offense against the United States committed between, ah. I don't know whether it was January 21st, 1969, or a year later, and the day he left off. But certainly not going uh, forward. You couldn't. He couldn't pardon himself for anything he did next week, right? I mean, <laughs> no, <laughs> okay. he, can't, he, can't. <laughs> he couldn't pardon his that children be, for the next 20 years, is what I'm saying. <laughs> that would be a new concept. Listen, he might try. It? We've <laughs> seen him try other things. It's just a matter of what he can get, get away with. And part of right. what he can get away with is oftentimes based on what other people in his party will allow him to get away with, um, and what, in part, he can get away with on... Some I won't just specifically name one, but we all know the main one. But but media outlets, conservative media outlets that stand by him. Um, but it's interesting uh, in response to his 
press conference tonight at the White House, Rick Santorum on CNN said, no president of the United States should say what Trump just did, called it dangerous and said no elected Republican would support, will support Trump on this. Um, Brett Baer on Fox said in, in response to what Trump had said in his press conference, Brett Baer said, we have not seen hard evidence of any election fraud. Um, are we going to see Republicans finally starting to stand up to him now that he's not the president? If he gets that outrageous, I think you will see Republicans who say this is wrong. McConnell has already criticized his election night remarks when he claimed victory when he clearly didn't have a victory. Uh, but I don't think he cares. Uh, he, he never cared about these people. They, they were just a vehicle for him to use. In fact, I don't even think he cared about a Republican ideology. Oh, no, I agree uh, with that. But his... I mean, he, but, he gave money to pro-choice candidates. He was, for a long time, a registered Democrat. I mean, it's all about him. It's not about any set of beliefs, and it's not about any party. But the people who follow him, it's about them when it comes to the Republicans in office, and in part, it's about them to Fox News as well. I mean, who leads the news coverage at Fox or any of these networks, really, in, in large part, it is it is the audience. I mean, MSNBC this evening actually did not cover or carry Trump's um, speech from the White House. They cut away with cut away from it after about thirty seconds, um, and part of that has a lot to do, no doubt, with the fact that their particular audience doesn't want to see it. Um, Fox has allowed a lot of its viewers to to guide its coverage, and certainly. Donald Trump's base has been crucial or critical to the re-election of a lot of these Republicans. And Don Jr. today specifically tweeted, and this I found fascinating, he tweeted, and I don't have it in front of me, but something to the effect of, it's very interesting to be looking at Twitter and seeing how many of these, quote, 2024 hopefuls, end quote, have spoken up in defense of uh, President Trump. And within 10 minutes, Nikki Haley had tweeted something um, in defense of President Trump, and Tom Cotton of Arkansas had tweeted something in defense of Trump. The Republicans know that they need his base and support still, don't they? I mean, isn't he still going to be running yes. the party? Uh, he could. There'll be a fight about this. He still could be running the party, but he could also run it into the ground uh, if the Republicans get positioned as the do-nothing party in the next two years. And for every Haley and Cotton, there are people like McConnell who have been much more careful. There are people like Ben Sass, who's very conservative in Nebraska, but has actually finally been outspoken. Uh, I think if the president goes too far, that uh, he will not get support from these folks. And by the way, MSNBC, you know, in 2016, uh, just like every other cable network, carried Trump's rallies wall to wall. Oh, yeah. And people estimated that he got billions of dollars in free publicity. Well, they didn't take him seriously and for I a while, they, right? Yeah. I think they've learned from that. Uh, I have to say one thing for Fox. Uh, Arna Mishkin, who is Oof. in charge of calling states mm -hmm. and the decision desk at Fox, uh, called Arizona early uh, when uh, other people had not called it uh, and has stuck by the call all the way through. And there are reports today that if either Pennsylvania or Nevada goes to uh, Biden, that Fox would call the election. Uh, there is, you know, with Chris Wallace and Brett Baer and their election night operation, there's a, there's a genuinely news division of Fox. And 
they're not going to play into this narrative. Now, is Tucker Carlson? Sure. Uh, will Sean Hannity? Yes. But if he does what you have suggested, and not just you, several other people I've heard say in the past few days that they think Donald Trump will probably uh, run for, run in 2024, he's going to be out doing these rallies still. I mean, I, I went to one of his rallies back in 2016 to cover it for a, a, another show, and that's why he ran in the first place. I mean, the the love, the adulation, the admiration that he gets from those crowds, it is you know, I stood on some of those, I stood on that very stage that he was on in Pennsylvania and performed, and I get it. I understood why he was running. He's going to keep doing those things. I mean, he's going to be the kingmaker throughout, uh, for, for the Republican Party for the next four years, arguably. So, you know, I know that I, I love, listen, I hope you're right and that Mitch McConnell says that he doesn't want to be the do-nothing Congress come 2022 uh, and midterms, but it didn't hurt him in 2016, did it? <laughs> I mean, it certainly did not hurt their chances when they blocked Mer Merrick Garland and and did everything to block whatever Obama wanted to get through. So, what? How does Biden need to run his administration to combat that? Well, Obama actually got some things through, often negotiated by Biden and Mitch McConnell. Uh, and one of them was after the 2010 midterms and extended unemployment compensation, did a number of things that had to be done. Uh, look, I don't think this road is easy for, for, for Biden, assuming he's elected. Uh, I think it's going to be tough. It's going to take all the skills he has. Uh, Biden uh, will uh, face a continual barrage of criticism from Trump. Uh, Trump, I agree with you totally. Will keep holding rallies around the country. Uh, he will use his fundraising base to finance them because I don't think he can finance them himself at this point. Now, there are two things we haven't talked about that I think uh, may interfere with whatever he wants to do. Well, hopefully uh, one first of them is jail. Faces, but... <laughs> oh, well, it's not jail necessarily, but he faces a whole series, not just of federal investigations, which he can try to get out of by pardoning himself, resigning a day early, letting Pence pardon him, if Pence would do that. Uh, he faces a whole series of state charges and local charges in New York. Mm -hmm. And we'll just have to see how that goes. Once he's not president, he doesn't have the same kind of protections that he does as president. Uh, or the secondly, ones he's claiming to have as president. <laughs> you know, the ones he's claiming to have and using the attorney right. general as his own private lawyer right. to assert them in court, even arguing that defending him against the claims that he raped someone some years right. ago as part of the official duties of the president of the United States is stunning. Uh, but the second thing is he owes a lot of money and a lot of those debts are coming. And it may be that some of his favorite banks will not be as compliant about extending those loans or loaning him more money once he's not president. So he's got those two obstacles in the way and he'll have to deal with them if he's out of office. And, and arguably he, well, there are a lot of people who say that he never wanted to be president in the first place. He fell into it and, and that perhaps it would be certainly more lucrative for him to start his own network or get back into to real estate development to try to pay off some of these debts. So perhaps he won't, but, you know, his family is especially his sons, are very interested in politics for politics' sake, not just for the cameras. So, you know, 
I think Don Jr. at the very least will want to stay in in politics. So, I think that's true. I don't think he's nearly as attractive uh, a candidate or as effective a candidate with that base uh, as his father is. Uh, to that end, who is? Who is? Is there well, a natural no successor? One. There's, there is. There's no substitute for Trump in terms of the appeal to that absolute hardcore base of 30 to 35 percent. Matt Gates, and, and that's another Biden challenge. How is he going to, uh, if he's in the Oval Office, how is he going to reach out and talk to those folks? Well, you're the expert. You answer that, please. <laughs> well, okay, one thing, one thing we can't do, Democrats can't do, is. Talk about everybody who's on the other side is deplorable. God bless you, Bob. Say it again. Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> we, can't tr- we can't think of them or treat them uh, as deplorable. We have to analyze why they are where they are mm-hmm. and what we can do about it. As I said, I think some people in the Trump base are beyond reach. Right. And I'm looking uh, at the I mean, list you gave, right? Racists who are, are authentically racists, um, the people who for whom... Republican or conservative policies would benefit them. Um, arguably, those two pockets of your four are groups that we probably would not get to the Democratic side or wouldn't want. I don't really care for any racists in my club. Um, but the other two pockets that you gave, those who feel like they've been left behind in some way and those who are uncomfortable, I think that might have been your word, with cultural changes that have been going on around them. Those two pockets, tell me if I'm wrong. This is just my theory. No, I those think you're two right. are the pockets those- that we could get back. And they overlap. Yeah. They, those two pockets very much overlap. And we have to get to the point where we're not only speaking to them in language they understand, but where we're producing policies that make a difference in their lives. Uh, I often think in this respect of a story about JFK, who in 1960 campaigned in West Virginia, went down in the mines, came from a very privileged background could not believe the conditions people were were living in, thought he was going to lose the primary because he was a Catholic, went back on primary night to Washington, went to the movies with his wife and Ben Bradley and Bradley's wife, and nobody had a cell phone, so they couldn't reach him. So when he got home, the phone was ringing off the hook, and they said, you know, get your rear end on a plane, come back here, you've won West Virginia in a landslide. Hmm. But the thing that's interesting is that afternoon when he thought he was going to lose it, he he said to Ted Sorensen that I know I'm probably going to lose this thing uh, because of religion, but let me tell you, after what I've seen, I'm going to do something for these people if I become president of the United States. And he did. It was called the Area Redevelopment Act, and it made a real difference for a period of years in Appalachia. So, for example, if we could create some incentives to move businesses, new kinds of businesses, into some of these areas that have been left out and left behind like the place I was born in southwestern Pennsylvania. And we could also set up a system where, in concert with community colleges, we train people under 45 so they could work in those jobs, which will actually pay them very well. I mean, those are the kinds of things you have to do. It's not just the language. Trump did it with language in 2016. And to some extent, he reinforced it with language in in, in 2020. But I think Democrats have to demonstrate And Biden has to demonstrate that he not only comes from those people, that he not only cares about those people, but that he's going to do something for them. But there's a level of respect that he has to have, too. And I'd listen, I believe Joe Biden has it. But to to some people, I think in and I'm 
speaking only from my North Carolina experience, but to some people who were in the district that I ran for Congress in, very blood red district in the first place. Right. So, um, but they were folks who, you know, they didn't want to train for a new job. Um, you know, to them, when you suggest they need to train for a new job, you're saying the job that I have isn't dignified enough. What what are the what does the Democrat Party need to do to stop making those folks, working class people, especially working class white people in in West Virginia, parts of Pennsylvania, still in the western part of Wisconsin, which had been dark blue and was still blood red um, this Tuesday, in in some of these more rural areas, to convince people that Democrats aren't the elites who look down upon people who live in the country, who are rural, who work with their hands and come home sweaty and dirty? How do, how do Democrats convince them that not only will we do things for you policy-wise, but more basically that we respect you and that we don't see you as less than because you have grease on your shirt? Well, Biden's a good start because you've just described him. Right, right. <laughs> that, he's the first that, non Ivy League, first non Ivy League president <laughs> in how many years? Right, since Reagan. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I went to the Ivy League, but my father was a tool and die maker, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Right. Uh, well, that was that was Joe Biden's point that he made yeah. the point that he he's proud that he wasn't an Ivy. He's not an Ivy because most folks aren't. Right. Um, God, I could, most folks most folks are not, and most presidents are. Right. Uh, and, but I I think if you go beyond that, there's an economic reality here that is intruding upon people's lives. Uh, uh, Trump said we'd have more coal miners. We have fewer coal miners than we did uh, four years ago. He said we were going to have a lot more steel workers. Uh, I think it's been pretty static. Uh, There isn't going to be another uh, coal-fired plant built in this country to generate electricity. It's just not going to happen. Right. It's, that's going to be a and those jobs are not being the, sent overseas. By the way, I mean we just aren't using coal. Right. That's that's right. And and uh, corporations don't want to use coal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of the jobs that Biden's talking about, but he's going to have to really work at convincing people of this, are not jobs that if he were suggesting that folks should be trained for them and switch to them, somehow or other denigrate the jobs they had in the past. I mean, we've been through this before. You know, we had a whole, we had a huge horse and buggy industry in this country. It went away, mm-hmm. but people got jobs in auto plants, and and that made a big difference. And we're going to have to get people jobs, for example, in renewable energy. Uh, I thought one of the most fascinating things in the last few years was that T. Boone Pickens, who uh, <laughs> was not my favorite person in some ways, because after all, he did finance those fake swift boat attacks on john Mm -hmm. Kerry, uh but he had made all his money in oil and gas and for the last few years before he died he became the biggest wind farm investor in texas Mm -hmm. and made billions of dollars from doing it so the question is those folks see where the world is going can we make room in that world and we have to for these folks who've been left out or left behind and you're right I mean, there's a county in, in somewhere in north, uh, uh, northwest Wisconsin called Pepin County. Now, I have no idea why they named a county for Charlemagne's <laughs> father in Wisconsin, but they did. And that county voted Democratic in every election from 1972 on, uh, after 1972, 
all the way up until 2016 and often by very good margins. And Trump carried it overwhelmingly. And he carried it again this year. So you, you do have to give those people a, a faith and not just faith, but proof that there's a place for them in the American economy of the 21st century and that it doesn't denigrate what they've done in the past. Otherwise, we're going to lose the most important thing we've ever had in this country, which I've experienced in my life. You may have experienced it in yours, that we can hope that our children will do better than, than we did. That uh, where you come from, where you start, doesn't limit where you can go. And somehow or other, we forgot to talk about that. Uh, not this year. I think Biden did try to talk about it. But we forgot to talk about that for a while. So that's our left behind group, the cultural group, um, uh, the culture, the folks who you put in your fourth pocket of, of voters who feel like they're not comfortable, perhaps, with a lot of the cultural changes. Has the Democrat Party been too aggressive in identity politics? Have they made that too much of their message? Have they alienated? I mean, I looked at the returns coming in, in uh, on Tuesday night, and I was, of course, very interested in my state, as I think everybody would be interested in their state, right? But in North Carolina, I really, this year, 2016, I actually knew that Joe, that Donald Trump was probably going to win, because I knew that in North Carolina, he would definitely not carry but I had hope. I had faith this year that North Carolina would turn around. When I look at the map, I see dark blue in Mecklenburg, dark blue in the triangle, a little bit up in the triad, and then the northeastern um, part of the state where the black population is larger than the white population. And then everywhere else in the middle, and we're not talking about small margins, we're talking about 40%. But it has has the the Democrat Party seems to have repelled white voters faster in the last four years than they did in the eight years when the president was actually a black man. Why is that? And is it is part of it that the Democrat Party has focused or doubled down too much on identity politics and the uh, what some people call cancel culture? Boy, I resist that a lot because I think that the leading identity politics force in this country is the Republican Party. And the identity that they represent are, is aggrieved white voters. And uh, they play to that in many different ways. We've seen the president play to it in ways that are not subtle at all. Uh, uh, secondly, in terms of, of, of its political positioning, uh, North Carolina is clearly headed for being a purple state, which Democrats can often win. Uh, and that's because of its changing demographics. Uh, thirdly, uh, if you're dealing with someone uh, in the group you're talking about who thinks that women should not have a full and equal role or that they should be subservient to their husbands, uh, when you have a vice president, Kamala Harris, you're going to have a hard time reaching them. But the people who are economically alienated, culturally alienated, I think you can begin to reach them, especially younger ones, uh, because younger people have a different view of the world, no matter what group they're in, than a lot of their parents and grandparents. Uh, I mean, think about how fast LGBT rights has moved in this country. I mean, it moved from a place where in 
you know, 1992, 1996, you would have thought it was the third rail of American politics to the point where you have 60% of people in this country in favor of marriage equality. You have, I think, north of that, uh, a percentage of people in favor of non-discrimination protections for, an, for gay people. An openly gay you man have, winning the Iowa caucus. <laughs> yeah, and you have Neil Gorsuch, conservative Supreme Court justice, right, right. writing the opinion that says that the prohibition against discrimination on the basis of sex in the 1964 Civil Rights Act applies to LGBT Americans. So th there's movement there, and you see it among young people. Some of the culturally alienated are not coming back. There's no way you're going to get them back. Uh, if there is a way you're going to get them back, it's by producing, because I said the groups were overlapping, especially the economically disenfranchised in this group. If you can produce an economy that seems to work for them, because I think that's what people believe has been lost in their lives. Want to move on to our quick fire questions? I want to I, actually. What I want to do is keep talking to you for another two hours, but I'm going to move on the quick fire questions anyway. Um, we take questions from our listeners uh, who send them to us on Facebook or sorry on Twitter or Instagram. We probably have a Facebook page too, don't we? Someone should let me know that. <laughs> Twitter, or Instagram at Politicon, or you can email them to us at podcasts at Politicon dot com. Um, Steve from Brooklyn asks. Will our relations with Russia get worse now that Trump is out of the picture? Well, it depends on what you mean by worse or better. I think they're terrible right now in the sense that things where we should be standing up to the Russians, we're not standing up to them at all. I think uh, 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 President Biden will be much, uh, much readier to confront Vladimir Putin and to say, you can't do this. And I think he will rebuild our ties with NATO, which after all, we created and which contained the Soviet Union until it fell uh, 40 years later. Uh, and one of Putin's big aims has been to weaken NATO and to make uh, gains in Western Europe in terms of building his relationships with, for example, Germany. Uh, so it depends on what you mean by worse or better. I think they'll be better, but tougher. Fair. Um, Dominique from Houston asks, the Democratic leadership is getting old. Can the younger generation win nationally? Sure. Uh, and I think they will. I, I don't think Nancy Pelosi will run for speaker again. Really? After this next, well, she will this time, okay. but not after the next two years. She's already said that before. Uh, and I think a, a new generation of leaders will emerge. Uh, it always happens. It's kind of a natural part of politics. Uh, but I do, I also have to add, by the way, that Pelosi has probably been legislatively, uh, and, and in terms of her strategic sense, the most effective Speaker of the House, certainly in modern history and perhaps in history. Has, has, and, to, and to be bipartisan about that, I would say that Mitch McConnell, although I don't agree with him, has been, has been damn an good extraordinarily at, effective majority leader at, at the getting Senate. what he wants. Absolutely, getting what he wants. I mean, if if you look at the fact that this was not a good year for Democrats, um, twenty eighteen was a spectacular year for Democrats in the House. But but given that, even in what was not a good year for Democrats in the House, the the GOP actually lost no seats, 
And the Democrats, if I if my count is correct, only picked up two, and they happened to be two seats in my state, which only went to Democrats because they had been ungerrymandered. Um, I'm a little bitter because the seat that I ran for was finally redrawn to not be gerrymandered, and the Democrat did pick it up. But <laughs> so I was six years too late. <laughs> but the Democrats didn't pick up many seats. Republicans didn't lose any. This wasn't a great year in the House. But the Democrats still have a pretty strong majority. Are they going to be at risk of being in the minority ever? I mean, have the Democrats sort sure. of got a majority sure. now for good? Yeah, 2022 is a perilous year for uh, a party that has an incumbent president in his first term. That first midterm is very difficult. Uh, uh, only uh, FDR, uh, JFK in 1962, and uh, uh, George W. Bush after 9-11 in 2002 have resisted successfully the tendency to see the party in power at that point uh, lose a fair number of seats. Now, the, the Senate landscape is not bad for Democrats in 2022, but every House seat will be up. By the way, a couple of the seats where uh, Republicans are leading here in California, you know, it takes us a long time to count votes out here. In fact, your vote can be received up to 17 days after Election Day, as long as it's postmarked by Election Day. And what we saw in 2018 was some evaporating leads and total reversals for some Republicans who thought they won. But we ought to be honest, Democrats thought they were going to pick up about 10 seats in the House. Mm -hmm. Instead, they lost maybe north of 10 seats. Uh, Craig from Dayton asks, should Biden's message have been about it's the economy stupid and not about the soul of the nation? Well, he talked a lot about the economy. He did not make the mistake that Hillary Clinton did, uh, where Lynn Vavrick from UCLA calculated that only 9% of her ads were ever about the economy. Uh, and it, that's inconceivable for a Democrat running for president. Did Biden uh, talk Biden about his tax plan? Uh, he talked about his tax plan, not a lot, but he talked about it in a reassuring way that no one who makes... Uh, uh, under $400,000 a year would see a tax increase. But he went out and gave several major economic speeches. One of the problems here was that the only internal on which Trump had an advantage was the economy. Now, that advantage shrunk as, as, as the election went on. But in terms of COVID, racial division, healing the country, even law enforcement, uh, those, were, those were places where Biden had a lead. Uh, so uh, I'm not going to criticize the Biden campaign. I'm going to I'm going to praise them. You know, only three incumbent presidents have lost re-election in a hundred years. Mm -hmm. It's a tough thing to do. I know I've tried to do it. Uh, came very close, but we didn't get there. Uh, and they were very, very disciplined, and they never they never had the kind of backbiting you see in campaigns, where there would be a story leaked out to the Washington Post or the New York Times about we're going to have a shake-up, so-and-so is in trouble, so-and-so is messed up. None of that happened. It was, a, it was a remarkably disciplined campaign, both in terms of message and in terms of the way it conducted itself externally. Um, last one from, uh, from the quickfire questions. Mary, just because I think it's funny, Mary from Las Vegas asks, if Trump is ever convicted of crimes and sent to jail, will he have Secret Service with him? 
I haven't the vaguest idea. <laughs> I've, wondered, uh, I've wondered the same thing. <laughs> I haven't the vaguest idea. And, you know, that, that would be a real Rubicon in the American journey uh, to send a, 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 a past president to jail. Uh, it would certainly royal the country in really big ways. Well, it would make him a martyr uh, as well. And I think people forget that. I think, I think, you can, I think they can hold him accountable. Uh, in New York, for example, on some of these tax issues or bank fraud issues, if he is guilty, I don't know that he's guilty. Uh, but you know, I, I'm unsettled about whether or not we should send a, a past president to jail. Look, I, I was a young kid and was George McGovern's speechwriter. And I always say maybe the reason we lost 49 states was because we were a children's crusade. I mean, Gary Hart was in his early thirties and he was running the campaign. I was writing the speeches. Our pollster was 21 years old. Uh, and so I, I didn't particularly like Nixon. And I always say, we didn't get to the White House, but at least we didn't go to jail. But I, I, I when I look back on it, uh, and I was very angry at the time, I think Gerald Ford probably did the right thing when he pardoned Nixon. Now, we're talking about different levels of offense here. What, what Nixon did was bad. It transgressed the Constitution. It justified his impeachment. He would have been removed from office, but it pales in comparison to some of the things that we've seen under Trump. I've said to friends several times in the last couple of years, where's Richard Nixon when we need him? <laughs> um, I mean, it, it, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you are. I mean, it, it would certainly satisfy... Gerald Ford got a little lot of pushback. He, his poll numbers went down after he pardoned Nixon. Am I, am I wrong about that? He, you're, you're right, and he would have been reelected had he not done it. Yeah, so... so <laughs> It sort of was a catch twenty two, but in hindsight, you know, there certainly was a lot of. I mean, it, it certainly helped keep the nation from falling apart and being incredibly divided uh, by keeping Clay, them from received, having to go through it. Right, Clay. Clay, he received the uh, uh, Profiles in Courage Award from the JFK Library some years later for making that tough decision. But in a, in a climate like the one we're in now, <laughs> uh, Biden might not care as much about being reelected. Who knows? I, I hope he runs for a second term. I hope he doesn't tell anybody he's not going to, at least. But, I mean, it. this is the kind of climate where I don't know that a Democrat could support pardoning, uh, if, if the case were federal, pardoning Donald Trump without pissing off everyone on the left and gaining no one on the right at the same time. So, you know, we're, I guess the point I'm trying to get to is we are incredibly polarized. I pulled up just um, at random here, Ohio, uh, and I'm looking at county returns. Cuyahoga County, Biden won by 34 points um, where Cleveland is, Franklin County, where Columbus, Ohio is. Biden won by 31 points. Um, and then I just looked down at all the rest of the more rural counties where he's in Adams County. Trump won by 63. Richland, he won by 40. Allen, 40 points. I mean, these, these numbers, these returns are not even close. And they are so polarized. The cities, the urban counties, to some degree, the suburban counties, huge margins for Joe Biden. All the rural counties, I don't see a count. I don't see a county in Iowa. I'm sorry, in Ohio, where Donald Trump got 63 points in Dark County, Shelby County, 60, where Trump won by single digits. I mean, these are huge. The Reds got redder. 
the blues got bluer, and this, the most voted in presidential election in U.S. history, did not, the turnout was of people who were so stuck in their bubbles and so partisan. And so, Bob, how the heck are we going to get along? Well, I'd say three things. First, I should point out that acres don't vote, people do. Uh, and more and more people live in those metropolitan areas. Uh, but secondly, you have to think about the folks who live there and you have to reach out to them. I think Biden's got exactly the right attitude. I don't know that he will persuade them uh, that they should support him or that they should support the Democratic Party. But one of my favorite lines from this campaign from him was, I'm the Democratic president, uh, I'm the Democratic candidate for president, but I'm going to be a president for all Americans, right. including those who vote against me. I hope people listen to him. <laughs> um, Bob Schramm, thank you so much <laughs> for this. This was, thank this you, was the conversation I, really I needed this, this week. <laughs> it was thank the- <laughs> you. I enjoyed it. It was, it was a really smart conversation on your part. Well, thank I you. appreciate that. And coming from you, who knows more about this than anybody. But in a week that I think we're all a little bit um, you know, on the left, excited, but also a little bit confused. And we're all sitting here waiting to see what's going to happen with our country. It was, God, it was a blessing to be able to talk to somebody who knows how to reassure me <laughs> that it's not all, that it's not all hope, lost, I, even in the wind. <laughs> I just hope I'm right. <laughs> I do too. Bob Shrum, thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Take care. You too. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of How the Heck Are We Going to Get Along? <laughs>